This episode is going to function as a short little introduction to the general history of medieval fashion. As I learned during my research for this episode, the medieval period, as I mentioned, is extremely long and it is quite impossible to sum up hundreds of years of fashion history in 45 minutes. So there are going to be accompanying episodes along with this introduction episode. I'm going to focus on the history of the known Dark Ages. The fashion of the early medieval era is much more interesting, much more detailed and a lot less dark than many people assume. I'm also going to go a little bit into the history of royals and the royal fashion of the medieval era, particularly of the high middle ages. And I'm also going to round it off with the end of the medieval times with the Italian Renaissance, the history of Florence and the Medici. And so with that, I'm giving you an overview of the early, the high and the end of the medieval times or the middle ages. So we can dip our toe into the fashion the history, the politics, the social life, the culture of all of these different time periods throughout Europe with their own specific focuses. Hello and welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. And today I have a topic that has been requested many times by you, my lovely listeners, and that is the fashion of medieval Europe. Medieval fashion is a very popular topic in fashion history, primarily, I think, because it is so recognisable. The steeple hats, the long sleeves, knights in shining armour, tunics, tights and pointed leather slippers. And much of this, of course, is true. But the medieval world in the UK and in Europe was a long, diverse and politically tumultuous time where fashion changed, adapted and was greatly affected by political upheavals, gendered ideals, the influence of royalty and the huge distance between the poor and the rich. And I think this is important to note because it is easy to make assumptions about people in time periods like this, the medieval times, the dark ages, etc, etc, that people in the past did things very, very differently to us and the way they saw the world was quite archaic. And of course, in many ways, this is completely true. But fashion is one of the things that remains not massively dissimilar in that there is a great deal of nuance between time periods, even between 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, much like we see within the last 100 years now, but also that people were massively affected by the social political changes of their time period. And the medieval times, despite the strong image that we have that pervades a three, four hundred year time period now, is also no stranger to this nuance. I also think we have this very particular image of the medieval times that associates people not having the capacity to make, wear and maintain well-made smart clothing, particularly when it comes to ideas of the dark ages, that people were always cold, wet, uncomfortable and wore nothing more than sacks or no shoes. But this just isn't true. And in this episode, I want to talk a bit about the many myths that surround these time periods, which we particularly see when it comes to medieval times in the Middle Ages. As I said, there is a great deal of specificity when it comes to medieval fashion and the class systems were deeply rooted and this allowed different types of people, people from different backgrounds, people who lived in different locations, people with more money or less money, made and wore very specific types of clothing. And this is something I think that has really informed our general opinions about medieval and middle ages fashion in that we're often seeing the rich wearing luxurious, colourful, jewelled clothes and the perceived 
or wearing very little. And this, of course, is true to a point. But within that, there are many, many changes that we see happen over the time periods and a great deal of nuance between these. And that is what I want to talk about today. So a little bit of history for you. <laughs> on a history podcast, shocker. In the history of Europe, the Middle Ages or the medieval period lasted about from the late 5th to the late 15th century. So it is a huge expanse of time. It began with the fall of the Western Roman Empire and transitioned into the Renaissance and the Age of Discovery. The Middle Ages is the middle period of the three traditional divisions of Western history, which is classical antiquity, the medieval period, and the modern period. The medieval period is then subsidized into early, high, and late Middle Ages. As I said, it's quite complicated, a lot of time passed, and there is a lot of nuance. And in this episode, I'll be focusing mainly on the Middle Ages, as that is the era in which the fashions we associate with the medieval era usually can be seen. And so, as according to History Hit and many other sources, as a result, the Anglo-Saxons, Anglo-Danes, Normans, and Britons who lived in England in the Middle Ages wore a wide and evolving range of clothing over the period, with factors such as class, international relations, technology, and fashion further altering the different styles of dress. Though clothing during the early medieval period was usually fairly functional, even within the least wealthy, it went on to become a marker of status, wealth, and the roles you were occupied in right up until the Renaissance era, which I will also do a whole nother episode on. And this important was reflected in political changes such as the sumptuary laws, and these forbade the lower classes from dressing above their station. But I will get more deeply into the sumptuary laws and their importance in culture and with fashion in a little while. And so, as ever, it begs the question, where do we get our ideals of the Middle Ages and the medieval period? We do not really have the chance in the modern day to see what an actual medieval dress or piece of clothing really looked like in front of us, because as we so often see with these ancient time periods, much of these clothes do not exist, and so, so little has actually survived. And it seems that we have the images that pervade nowadays of knights and steeple-hatted ladies because of the sources that we rely on to gain this information. We rely, of course, a great deal on artwork, illuminated manuscripts, written details, and as Margaret Scott says in her book, Fashion in the Middle Ages, academics. And this taking into account, however, that manuscript images are not always to be considered exact reflections of the period. Medieval art is often idealised, exaggerated or modified, and the dress of their figures is based on accepted artistic conventions or their own desire to convey aspects of a time or place beyond their knowledge. But nevertheless, it is undeniable that clothing was actually hugely important to the society of medieval Europe and Britain in particular, as I said, and it is just far more detailed, diverse, politically focused and perhaps a little bit different than the established image of King Arthur and Genevieve that we maybe have in our mind. So how important was clothing to medieval society really? As again according to Margaret Scott, in the Middle Ages clothing was even more integral to the fabric of society than ever before. The production of textiles for clothing, from the keeping of sheep for their wool to the weaving of the finest silks, was a crucial element in the economies of many city and countries. The trapping of fur-bearing animals to provide fine furs to line the garments of the rich and powerful was also carried out on a massive scale, with only the discovery of the New World and its animals saving many European species from extinction by the 16th century. With all this in mind, medieval people were therefore highly skilled at reading the meaning of clothing 
and their expertise is reflected everywhere in the dress chosen to adorn the figures who appear in things like illuminated manuscripts and paintings. Therefore, the clothes you wore were an extremely important aspect of your medieval life. You were judged by your clothing, the state of your soul was judged, your class was judged, and your social standing. And because the making of clothes in the textile industry was such an important backbone of medieval society, people, as I just said, were extremely aware of the importance of clothes, and this allowed this extreme judgment and class system in terms of your physical adornment to follow. There was also an extreme emphasis of being vain. And apparently the church would tell you if you were fashion conscious and lavishly dressed that your appearance would guarantee you a place in the underworld in hell because you were being so vain and you put too much importance on your physical looks. As I said, clothing was even important enough that entire laws were created to politicise clothes. And many lawmakers created these laws, the sumptuary laws, to stop people from wearing clothing that was too fashionable, too lavish, or too costly for their given social class. You were only able to dress yourself lavishly or be conscious of how fashionable you were if you were within the accepted higher social class. And this is where we see the royals dressing in velveted, colourful, jewelled clothing because they were allowed and the people of the lower classes seen dressed very simply because they were not allowed by law and this is where we get these ideas that people in the middle class were dirty and they were stupid and they did not have the ability to dress themselves properly and keep themselves clothed in a way that kept them dry and warm but it's simply that they were not allowed to dress in the same way as those from the other classes because it was against the law which is just wild when you think of that today and the repercussions that would have. But of course during the Middle Ages and the medieval period as a whole, clothing was worn for the idea of necessity as we see throughout history throughout the world. It was also made for comfort as well as for display and to be seen. Clothing of course was distinguished not just by the way it was designed or how it looked but by the use of specific materials and a specific cut and this is where we see the sumptuary laws play a part because if you were rich enough you were able to afford the specific materials that were deemed worthy for your class and therefore you were lawfully allowed to wear these materials. For example some members of the clergy were frequently berated for looking a bit too flashy and you could not distinguish them from their upper class superiors as well as from the knights. And the idea of social standing, of class, of where you fit into society was so important and clothes were the quick visual way that this was accomplished by society. If anyone tells you that clothes and fashion are not important to the general makeup of history, in this respect they would be entirely wrong because clothing and fashion, the making of clothes, the wearing of clothes, the material makeup of clothes was one of, if not the most important social aspect and political aspect of medieval Europe and the Middle Ages. The fact that you could literally go to prison for wearing materials not right for your class really just emphasises this point. (laughs) 
But now we know how important clothes were to medieval society, I think it's important to break down exactly what an outfit from the Middle Ages would have looked like, what were they made of, and how did they break down piece by piece. Well, to start off with, a dress in the Middle Ages was made up of about three basic natural materials, and these were linen for underwear, wool for a wide variety of garments, and silk, which a great deal of cities and countries around Europe at varying times of the medieval period was only allowed to be worn by privileged upper classes and very, very high middle classes and, of course, the royals. So we'll go chronologically here. In the early medieval period, both men and women wore very similar long tunics and these were worn over sleeved garments, often made of linen. For women, this was a dress. For men, this was long-sleeved t-shirt-type tops. But on top of this first tunic, there was often another tunic worn. This would have had outer sleeves, this would have been without sleeves, or with much larger, baggier sleeves. It was shorter at the waist than the under tunic, and in cold weather, the outer tunic would have been lined with fur. Brooches and belts were also used to fasten the materials, and the belts sometimes had decorative metal buckles made of gold and silver or jeweled and this would have been the more garish part of a man's wardrobe and what would have differentiated lower class and upper middle class people. The general makeup of the tunic and the undershirt would have been more or less the same but for men it would have been the brooch or the waist belt which is what would have denoted their class. An alternative type of outer tunic was called a tabard and this was almost like a poncho cut where the sides were closed by stitchings or clasps. In the 5th and the 6th centuries, so the early medieval period as I said, women's costume of this era would have been a long sheet-like garment that would have been pulled up by the armpit and worn again over a sleeved undergarment. And this would have been more like a dress. So men and women's clothes in these early centuries would have essentially been very similar with some few small nuances that made them different. Women also would have used brooches but these would have usually been fastened at the shoulder and would have been clasped from front to back. It would also have been belted much like the men's tabard and sometimes would have included a belt but very often these would have been a lot plainer. For both men and women usually as I said these would have been decorated with fleeces or furs as lining or to create warmer outer garments. Sometimes even a simple poncho or dress would have been made from the skins of sheep or cattle. And this would have been the early medieval fashion of the lower middle and the working classes primarily. But as I said, if you were higher up in the social scale, there would have been things that would have differentiated you. But on the whole, this would have been more general attire. In these early centuries, there's also very little evidence of footwear being worn. Illustrated manuscripts from the 6th centuries show labourmen ploughing and sowing the fields in Anglo-Saxon manuscripts not wearing any footwear but this is something we see change over the period and in the same vein there is actually a lot of evidence of people wearing hats or some form of headwear in these early centuries. This would have been working man's clothing as it would have been important to protect the head and the face from the hot sun in the summer and to keep your head warm in the colder weather but also it would have just been a way to keep you clean if you were working in the fields working with muck or dangerous equipment it would have been important to cover your face and your skin and your delicate head. Much like the other clothing we see, headwear would have indicated your social standing because it would have shown people what job you do and how you labour. And this therefore would have shown your social standing, your status, 
and hats were therefore seen as a very important part of the politics of medieval fashion. In the 7th to around the 9th century, there were many changes seen in Middle Age dress, beginning in the latter half of the 6th century. Linen became used more widely for many types of clothes, including underclothes, and women also began wearing hoods, and this was seen as a head covering, wasn't connected to the rest of the outfit that just had a small opening for the face or a scarf wrapped around the head. Tunics were still worn and popular from both men and women and between the different classes but fashion changes were seen from the decreasing influence of the outer world and in Europe and the Byzantine Empire had a lot less influence on the changes seen in Britain particularly. Leg coverings also began to be worn more by women during this period and contemporary art from this time period shows women wearing longer ankle length more tailored gowns in the upper classes much like the general image of Guinevere for example that we attach to the medieval times. These dresses were however still worn over a softer undergarment and these would have been secured just above the elbow and these were sometimes known as a chemise throughout the Middle Ages. Noble women's dresses would have been made from a finer linen, wool and sometimes silk, and these dresses would have included embroidery and gemstones built in around the neck and the hemlines, but would have still fitted a very similar cut, a long dress worn over this chemise. And according to Gail Owen Crocker from a book called Dress in Anglo-Saxon England, in between the 10th and 11th and 12th centuries, multiple sleeve styles by the 11th century had come far more into fashion and gowns were, as I said, slightly more elaborate. Sleeves got longer and wider at the end and these too would have been braided or decorated and embroidered and these multiple sleeve styles had come far more into fashion for women, particularly for those of an upper class. It was into the 12th and 14th century that we saw clothing develop to be far more detailed and nuanced, particularly for women. Wealthier women started to use fabrics such as silk and fine linen, and the lower classes would only have been able to use wool and coarser linen. And this is when we see the importation of more expensive, luxurious fabrics come into England. And whilst they remained very, very pricey and expensive and harder to access, they did become used more widely. But the basic garment for a woman now consisted of a gown, a belt, a girdle, cape, hood and a bonnet, much like we saw, but including a hose, a kirtle and a surcoat. A kirtle is a specifically designed outer garment worn by both men and women in the Middle Ages. It was constructed by using a fitted bodice with a long gathered skirt attached to it, lacing up often at the front, the back or the side. And this is the image of the cottage core dress. <laughs> that we really see and associate with medieval middle-aged fashion and these would have been worn again over a longer sleeved often white chemise made of coarse or fine linen but the kirtle would have usually been made of a variety of different materials depending on your social status and would have been decorated sometimes with silk with real gold with embroidery or with decorated tassels and hose of course are tights or clothing that is worn tight to the lower body not tights in the way that we know now that are stretchy and elasticated but were a type of stocking stitched together and worn over the legs and these would have been seen from around the 13th century onward particularly the 
these would have been worn by men, but they were also popular for women. And again, from around the year 1300 to the 14th century, this is when women's gowns started to get even more nuanced and were designed and cut in different ways depending on your social standing. They had more layers, they were worn lower cut, and sometimes they were fit much more tightly and bound to the body. So we see here the general nuance starting to creep in between the sort of 5th centuries all the way to the 14th century. Of course, there's going to be so many changes. It is a huge time period. That is like assuming that people in the 17th century are going to be wearing exactly the same clothes in, say, the 25th century. And that's obviously just not true. <laughs> there's so much within that and so many changes and social political changes technological advances that mean that fashion is naturally going to shift and change and particularly at this time period in anglo-saxon england and in the england and europe of these later centuries hold a lot of power within the world and are spaces that have very rich upper classes and people that are able to use gold and jewels and tassels and different types of materials, silks and velvet in their clothing. And so, of course, you're going to see these changes happen in a much more visual way. But also, because England and Europe were high powers at this time period, trade would have been huge, availability would have been huge, but also these people would have been hugely affected by political turmoil and social changes. And of course, fashion would have been no stranger to this. And in fact, fashion, as I said at the beginning of this episode, is the way, during the Middle Ages particularly, we can track how these political upheavals affected day-to-day -day people. But not only day-to-day -day people and the working class, but the upper classes too, of course. But essentially, if we're taking women as a little microcosm of, you know, these changes and the difference between social classes... Working class women in the early Middle Ages would have worn ankle length tunics, usually belted at the waist or at the shoulder. And these would have been made of coarser, cheaper materials over a long sleeve undergarment. But eventually this would change and shift to longer, more peplum style dresses. And the belt lost a lot of favour. For the wealthier women, they would have worn a softer linen chemise, chaise or a smock, depending on your social class underneath an ankle to floor length tunic, either called a gown or a kirtle and these would have been decorated depending on your class and made up of softer or coarser materials again depending on your class. So things did change, things were different between the social classes of course. They didn't change as much as we are used to but we do see things go in and out of favour like decorated belts we see legwear begin to be worn. The shape of women's dresses changes, particularly for the kirtles. These start as smock-like tunics and turn into more corseted dresses into around the 14th century. There is, of course, far more nuance within that, as there always is. But as I said before, a lot of this information is difficult to find because we do rely on manuscripts and paintings and drawings of the time. But as we know, these are to be taken with a pinch of salt as always because there is a great deal of context when it comes to the creation of these. Of course artists did depict 
actual clothing, especially in illuminated manuscripts. We can see women wearing these long gowns, chemises, kirtles, of all different colours and with different furs and different materials, different decorations, embroideries. In England and throughout Europe, a French manuscript called The Consolation of Philosophy from most likely the mid-1400s, depicts a group of seven women, all in different decorated outfits. But of course, artists would have likely included more interesting garments for the purpose of art, to make the art more lavish and more interesting. And there is, of course, the opinion of artistic license. (laughs) And oftentimes, we don't know whether artists would have been depicting more old-fashioned clothes or clothes from a later time period, as we see In this illuminated manuscript, for example, the clothing that the women are wearing is more attributed to what likely would have been worn a century before than when the manuscript was painted. But regardless, it's still clear from a variety of these visual sources that things did change. Developments happen particularly in women's fashion in England and in Europe in places like France. And from an outside point of view, these don't change massively. However, if you look at the detail and the nuance and focus on things like belts and buckles and hats and chemises, then you notice the changes that happen. And these were, of course, affected by the sumptuary laws, which aimed at keeping people dressed according to their social standing. But these did not begin until the 1200s. But clothing was still restricted, it was still policed, and fashion changes in particular, what was deemed fashionable or interesting or worn by people who were fashionably minded, would have been affected by what was happening politically and socially. And also importantly at this time period in the religious world. And all three of these tie very closely in together. For example, as English Heritage's website says... Christianity in Britain tends to be associated with the arrival of St. Augustine's mission to the English from Rome in 597, but it had already taken root in Roman Britain in the 4th century. And this we see trickle down throughout medieval times and the Middle Ages. And of course, we also see the massive importance and influence held by the royals and those of the upper classes. Decisions were made from the top down, and what you were told, you did. Feudalism was the leading way of political, social, economic life in the Middle Ages and the medieval era, and the kings and queens and other monarchs maintained complete control. And they controlled not only the lower classes, but the upper middle and the upper classes too. And these kingdoms ruled by the upper royals saw the gradual amalgamation of barbarian, Christian and Roman cultural and political changes and traditions. They were made up of multiple different kingdoms and these kingdoms between the church and the royals led to a multitude of clashes and wars between the Pope and the emperor and those who wanted to gain power. There was also a massive amount of population growth through the flourishing of towns and farms and this is when we see the emergence of the merchant classes and the importance of trading and the textile industry. This is when we also see the development of governmental bureaucracies and these were part of the cultural and economic changes that happened during this period. The church also dominated intellectual life and would have defined many of the choices that people were making and defined many of the political changes. There were hundreds and hundreds of wars during this time period. Norman conquests, Anglo-Saxon conquests, great crusades, rebellions, 1066 is one 
we know well, battles, civil wars, and just a whole host of conflict between England, Europe, France, what is now Germany, and all the huge variety of empires of the Middle Ages. So essentially, <laughs> there's just there's just too much to go into. Honestly, there were so many wars that happened throughout the medieval time period. And I think the fact that I'm incapable of listing them all and detailing them all in much nuance shows what a big time period this is. Because as I said, it lasted from the 5th to the 15th century. There is no way I can talk about every single political change or war that happened from that amount of time period in a less than an hour episode in a podcast. But I think the fact that medieval fashion has been so highly requested and has such a topography and visual elements to it and can be defined particularly for the dress of women by this one particular image shows how we have combined this huge, nuanced, diverse time period into this one little image of the medieval woman and I think that's really fascinating and I don't really know why that is because there are a lot of royals in England there are a lot of political changes wars upheavals so many that you would think that each 100 years much like we do with the Tudors the Georgians the Victorians all of that kind of stuff it would be separated specifically but I think over time it just gets harder and harder and a lot less information survives as I said one of the main ways that we can track medieval history, particularly in England, is through the illuminated manuscripts. And whilst these are fascinating, it is also quite difficult to know when they are anything near truthful. hope you enjoyed this introduction episode and I hope it's going to be a good starting point a good jumping point for the next few episodes that are going to come out and you've left here with a bit more knowledge on the medieval times and the middle ages particularly in England and Europe and you can take that with you when you listen to the next few episodes. Now there are a lot less changes than we might expect for such a broad time period but that is to be expected when developments scientifically technologically politically also happen much slower. We can't look at it with a modern lens in that changes happen year by year, month by month even, like we're used to today. Changes were slow and steady and progressive, but they did happen and that can be reflected in the fashion. The nuance is much more specific though and that is what these episodes will function as. But that is also why it was almost impossible for me to fit it into one episode on the broad nature of just medieval fashion. Now I'm sure many people do and I'm sure many people have done it well but because this is a fashion history podcast I wanted to give you all just a little bit more and that's what I'm going to do. Now of course in the next few episodes I am also going to go into more political history, more social history very specifically again to give you something to base the knowledge of fashion off of as I often do because as we know fashion is socially politically minded it doesn't come from nowhere and it all functions as one big circle where the politics affect the fashion and the fashion reflect the politics but the fashion can also alter the politics as we know and that is exactly the same as we see happening in the middle ages particularly with ideas of gender and religion with all that in mind do look forward to those episodes and i hope you've enjoyed listening to a broad overview of the history of medieval fashion i shall see you all next time for an episode all about the dark ages see you in the next one stay fab everyone <laughs>